0: There is a reason I wanted to combine our passage from Revelation today with the one read earlier from Proverbs. They can seem in some ways to live on opposite ends of the spectrum. Proverbs is known for being profoundly practical. It says things like, Go to the ant, you lazy bones. Consider its ways and be wise. And as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Proverbs is practical through and through. But Revelation doesn't necessarily seem practical. It is grandiose, sweeping images, roaring monsters, fantastical battles. It feels a little bit more like a Hollywood blockbuster than it does practical advice. Several weeks ago, Brian preached a sermon on Revelation. It was about the monsters we face and how God's response is an offer, a promise, of grace and peace. Left on its own, this message can be comfort in the storm. The monsters may rage, but we do not need to fear, because our hope is assured. So our passage from Revelation this morning is often considered the culmination of this assurance. It is the vision of the new heaven and new earth. Hear now our text for this morning, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, see, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. It is A powerful vision. Tears, death, and pain will be no more. For some, that is all you need to hear today. One day, tears, death, and pain will be no more. For some, you've been living with too many tears, too much death and pain. The ache of a broken family won't go away. The tears of grief won't go away. The disappointment of loneliness, the sting of neglect, it won't go away. The death of friends and family and the death of hopes and dreams. It's like a broken bone that you can forget until something jars it again. In these times, Hearing that one day tears, death, and pain will be no more can be all you need. You just have to make it until then. This peace isn't coming quietly, though. God is bringing heaven to earth, but the earth is fighting back. When you're face-to-face with a monster, unemployment, or cancer, or body image, It feels like evil will triumph over good. But as Christians, we know when Christ died on the cross, sin and death were defeated. One day, there will be no more tears or death or pain. It is a powerful and compelling vision. Here's my question, though. What's the correct reaction to a vision like this? I think the easiest reaction is what I like to call the hitchhiker. You're on the side of the road looking around at how horrible things are. Oh, my goodness. Sickness and troubled marriages, debt, struggles raising kids or having kids or finding love. And then the world outside. You look around and think, my goodness, I just have to get out of here. Then here comes the God bus. You hold out your hand and the bus pulls over. You run up to the door and inside is a smiling Jesus. He pulls that lever and the door opens. Hop on in, he says. Next stop is heaven. You grab a seat next to somebody else who's also smiling and you're off. As you press your face up against the glass, you find yourself thinking, Thank God I'm not out there. That place looks horrible. You lean back and you see Jesus start walking down the aisles of the bus, just handing out blessings. He smiles as he hands you an answer to prayer, just to tide you over until you get to heaven, he says with a wink. This reaction is appealing when life is hard, when we just need hope, when we need help, when we need saving but there's a real tendency to hop off that God bus when things are good. Stop the bus, please. I'd like to get off right here. When we're living those moments that will one day sit on our mantle or hang on the wall as some of our happiest memories, we're not so desperate to be on that God bus next stop to heaven when we're enjoying life or love. The problem with the hitchhiker reaction, is that the God bus isn't escaping the world. The God bus is coming from heaven, bringing Jesus and the Spirit and the angelic host. God isn't abandoning the world he made, he's making it new. As you likely know, every city there has ever been has safe neighborhoods and others that are not. In Chicago, one of the most dangerous neighborhoods is North Lawndale. So there was a couple, a couple in a really nice car, driving through Lawndale, peering out the car at boarded-up windows, partially because of their car and partially because they were completely lost. Let's just say they stood out. As the husband takes a turn down a side road, a cop car comes whipping around the corner, lights flashing. So the husband pulls over and the police officer pulls up behind him. The officer walks quickly up to the car and says, You can't go down that road. At the end of this block, someone would have stopped your car and you'd be walking home. Follow me and I'll lead you back to the highway. The husband expresses his appreciation and says to the officer, Yes, but can you lead me to 1241 South Pulaski? The officer looks at him a bit confused, but agrees, because the address is in Lawndale. And when they arrive to 1241 South Pulaski, it's an old yellow brick building with a sign on the front that says, Why Men? Now, Wyman is a Christian organization that saw there were no real options for young men in that neighborhood. Between the poverty, overcrowding in schools, social pressures to drop out and join a gang, these young men were on a conveyor belt to unemployment, drugs, and prison. So Wyman decided to step in. They provide mentors and tutoring, leadership training, and meals. They take field trips to colleges and make the young men dare to believe that one day they could go there too. These young men cease to be a product of a broken system, and they become agents of change. This year, Wyman is celebrating 20 years. Now, they haven't won every young man that they've served— but young men who were told they would never graduate high school have gotten college degrees. But part of what is so amazing about Wyman is how some of these college graduates who have the education and the opportunity to escape Lawndale go back. They go back to mentor another generation of young men to be a testimony with their bodies and their very lives. Listen to this. They had the opportunity to get out, but they knew the God bus isn't leaving Lawndale. Jesus is driving the bus, but it is going straight into Lawndale. And this couple in their nice car is getting on board because, man, that vision is worth it. It's a vision that doesn't leave anyone behind, period. And if you're looking for God, you'll find him mentoring young men, getting people jobs, whispering to young girls that they're beautiful, walking the lonely halls of nursing and retirement homes, teaching Sunday school classes, and tutoring 15 kids at Food for Thought. Because God has a vision for the world, and he's known for a long time what Thomas Edison once said, Vision without action is hallucination. Vision without action is hallucination. God has this vision. But he knows that visions don't just come true. You can't eat a vision. You can't hug a vision. A vision can't teach or preach, which is why it's so important that the God of Revelation is also the God of Proverbs. The God that gives us an incredible vision of a coming heaven is the same one who practically says, Get ready to roll up your sleeves. Jesus isn't on an air-conditioned bus to heaven. He's walking straight into every corner of our lives, our homes, our cities, and he's rolling up his sleeves. Because God has this vision of what heaven is going to look like. And God is not content with one day. He's content with today. Our passage from Proverbs has this fascinating line, so hear it again. Where there is no vision, the people who cast off restraint. Where there's no vision, you don't know where you're headed. This is profoundly simple, so don't overthink it. Consistently, since always, having goals leads to greater success. Having written goals is even better than unwritten goals. The goals, the vision, knowing where you're headed, that's what gets you through the hard times. It keeps you focused. If you know you want to be an accountant, then you know you need to study math. It keeps you focused in all of those study sessions where you hate math. If you know you want to be debt-free and you have the goal written down in a timeline to get there, then you figure out what you have to sacrifice to make it happen. Because you have a vision. A vision lets you make the sacrifices necessary. When you don't have a vision, Proverbs reminds us, you cast off restraint Without a budget, it's easy to overspend. Without a goal in school, it's easy to settle for less than your best. Without a vision for a relationship, it's easy to stop growing together and to start growing apart. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Where there is no dream, no goal, no light at the end of the tunnel, then there isn't anything worth sacrificing for. Vision without action is hallucination. This is just as true for church as for anything else. Why come to church? Why give money to church? Why donate your time to church? Why sing in the choir or join the member care team? Because God has this vision for the world, and that vision is worth it. And when I was very young, still a toddler toddling around, even in diapers. My family was living in Columbia, South America as missionaries. One day, my dad had this vision of his kids playing outside in a sandbox. He felt like every kid needs a sandbox. So he goes to the backyard, and he rearranges everything, and he digs out a spot, and he builds in the frame so we know where the sandbox is going to be. The vision is contagious, so we all get excited about this. Oh, yeah, we're going to have a sandbox in the backyard. My dad calls up some guys, and they give him a price on the sand, and a few days later, a truck shows up with a big pile of sand. How exciting. All that's left is putting that sand right there in that beautifully framed-out box. But things in Colombia are a little bit different than in the United States. So a few gentlemen drive up to our home, turn the truck around, and dump all of the sand in the front yard and leave evidently moving the sand to the backyard wasn't included in the price. So here we were with the wooden box all framed out in the back and all of the sand in our front yard. So what do we do? Family rolled up their sleeves and we got out there to move that sand. My parents and older brother grab a bucket and shovel. They start moving the sand from the front to the backyard and I grab my hot pink beach bucket And my matching hot pink children's shovel, and decide that I'm gonna help. Load after load after load after load, we move sand from the front to the backyard. Sweat is pouring down, the sun is pounding. Within minutes, my older brother decided he was done. My parents worked for a while and went inside to take a break for lunch. But, and this should be no surprise to you, I kept going. Teeny little bucket, tiny little shovel, go to the front, fill the bucket, waddle to the back, pour out the bucket. Go to the front, fill the bucket, you get the idea. My parents stood by the window and watched as I kept going, just to see how long I'd keep going, waddling back and forth, moving sand to that sandbox. At one point, my mom finally walked outside and she said, Micah, you can stop. We'll finish the sandbox later. And I replied, sandbox, not done. Her and my father, who are far from lazy, decided to see how long it would be before I stopped. I didn't. I just kept going, sandbox, not done. Sandbox, not done. Until it was. The best part about this story is I hate sandboxes. I hate them. I think they're dirty and gross, and I never once played in that sandbox. But even more, what I hated was that the sandbox wasn't finished. Vision without action is hallucination. God has a vision for this world. He says, God himself says, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. God has laid out the vision. He's built the frame. He's ordered an abundance of the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit will bring with him every spiritual gift. God has given us the vision. So let's fill it in. Let's give it faces. Let's give it names. Let's write down our goals because the sandbox isn't done Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down out of heaven from God. The God bus is coming into town, and it is not accepting hitchhikers out. So grab your buckets, pick up a shovel, roll up your sleeves, and let's see if we can't turn God's vision into action. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.